0: To
1: your co-host, your other co-host, Tony. And we have an amazing guest today, Sita Lash. How's it going, Sita?
2: It's going absolutely fabulous. How are you all?
1: We're doing great. Doing very well. Awesome. A pleasure to have you on the show. <laughs> very exciting. All right. So there was an article that I recently read um, where, I think this was released last year, where you talked about, you know... Planning a journey of getting your business to twenty-five million dollar valuation within the next couple of years, but before getting to that journey and you know how that's going to become a reality, we'd love to know a little bit. You know, before the story, before the company, um, you know, how did this entrepreneurial inventor the mindset come from as a child, or did it spark later on in life?
2: Um, I'm going to say it came from childhood. My both of my parents were small business owners. Um, I don't consider them necessarily entrepreneurs, because I think black people didn't know what being an entrepreneur, <laughs> you know what that means. Mm-hmm. And it was just like you worked for yourself and then you died while you were working. You know, not Mm. necessarily that you were trying to lead a successful business Um, or leave a legacy, leave a legacy or, you know, actually. And I'm even a successful business, because a lot of us did not have the foundations and the know how to know what it means to lead a successful business. You just ran the business or the business ran you, you know, Mm. so. I would see people. My mother had an ice cream store. My dad was a CPA tax accountant. So I love the fact that they did not. They were their own boss and they had people that worked for them. Mm -hmm. But. I would say neither one led a successful business because there was no, okay. I see the fruits of my labor. I'm either going to sell it. Or let, somebody, uh, or let somebody take it over so I can sit back and reap the rewards. There was none mm-hmm. of that. There was just, you know, hope I'm going to be able to make payroll next week. <laughs> that, was, that was my dad. I think I should have made a, my t- a T-shirt for my dad, because that's what he would always <laughs> be like. Hope I'm going to make payroll next week. So I didn't know what, um, I didn't know what, entrepreneur success was i didn't have a picture of that um and it stopped me because i have a tendency to ramble so like oh please, we want you know, people <laughs>
1: to talk so go go <laughs> okay. share, share share the lessons share the lessons share, yeah, share the pieces like
2: come through and it'll be we'll be talking about something totally <laughs> off topic but anyway um so as um a as a you know teen tween i always did like um i would i was kind of an entrepreneur where i did t-shirts I would do I would paint graphics for uh, businesses like their logos and stuff on their windows. Um, think I was always an artist at heart, but I never thought that would be a business because you know, according to black parents, you don't eat when you are an artist. How are you going to feed yourself? How are you going to take care of yourself? All of that.
1: You, you know? know what's so funny because I wanted to be a chef. And my grandmother's very traditional. She was like, that's not a real job. So you're going to have to figure something out. I was like, damn. But right. today-
2: Damn, you damn. Make- you killed so, my dreams. <laughs> yeah,
1: but you can make so much money as a chef. But you know what it is? I think back in the days, you know, how we've been brought up and what we see, if you're not a lawyer, you're not a doctor, you're not a- Or those two things, business mm-hmm. something- you're not doing a you're not doing a su- successful career, and I think that we need to change that mindset because you can be creative and be super successful, live a very uh, a fulfilling life or career. So right. I think we need to change that narrative.
2: I'm trying. I mean, I I honestly am one of those that because I feel like I get I got some years on y'all. So this is this is this is one of those Black culture things, and I don't care if you're from the Caribbean or if you're brought over here by on a boat you know mm-hmm. it's the same thing you got to be a doctor or a, you have to have those letters after your name whatever they are mm-hmm. in order to be considered successful but for me um and I you know I bought into that but my parents weren't um my mom didn't go to college my dad did go to college but it wasn't one of those things of they had that open thinking to say you can go just go be whatever you want to be and just be the best at it. It was you got to support yourself. So even when I went to when I went to college, I went in as a business major, and failed every course that <laughs> came my way. And <laughs> I was like, if I have to take stats and and calculus and all of that I was like I'm never gonna make it and I'll be damned if I have to go back home. So I gotta change this up so I can stay in school. So I changed my major from from business to visual communications without telling my parents and I was just like you know this is what I'm going to do. Visual communications basically a fancy word for graphic design and it all worked yes. out it all it all panned out. So um that's what I was supposed to do. And that actually played a big part in what I was able to do in terms of building PuffCuff.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so I did see on LinkedIn that you you worked in the graphic design s- space for a few years. Um, and I wanted to know, like, how did that help with the transition of developing PuffCuff? Um, did you create your own design of your logo? Like, was all the graphics or so something that you were kind of doing would kind of help get thing off the ground? because you can conceptualize your own ideas. Let's, can you walk us through that a little bit?
2: Yeah, so that what you said is exactly it. I um, I graduated from the d- design school in 1995. So, um, and I was in Chicago, which was like, you know, second to New York was Chicago in terms of the art world. So I happened to be in the right place at the right time with the right people to massage my, my design skills. So I, I, and then also at that time, I was one of the first and few black girls who graduated from graphic design school. So it was a, I had the skill and I was, you know, a little bit of a unicorn, you know, so people were Mm -hmm. interested. And then I, I think I could talk a lot. So I probably, you know, appealed to them letting me have a, a, a chance. So mm-hmm. uh my design skills took me I worked two years full time and figured out you know what I'd rather freelance than deal with the whole corporate Collider. shenanigans and all mm-hmm. of that stuff. I work realize I'm I work better by myself and I don't like to deal with um the ego tripping and the gossip and all all that can come with and the backbiting and the crabs and a bear, all of that that can come with corporate life. So mm-hmm. I just freelanced and I found my niche in the um, education field. So I freelanced in marketing departments of different colleges and universities or, um, or uh, junior colleges. So mm-hmm. when I came up with the idea of Puff Cuff, I happened to be working at a junior college at the time. Freelancing, actually freelancing for the for the woman who I got my first job from out of college. But mm-hmm. this was, you know. Many years later, almost like nine, 10 years later, and because I had I came up with the idea at that time, I had access to all of the um, resources that a junior college had. So whether it was the SBDC, it was engineering professors, all of that, I was able to because of my skill, I was able to create a 2D version of what I thought the Puff Cuff would be. And then I could network on um, network with the other professors there because they're adjunct. That means they are, you know, professionals by day, professors at night. So I could work with them to try and get it off of paper into an actually working prototype. And that's basically what happened.
1: Wow, it's amazing! Yeah,
2: and and in terms of the branding and everything, all of that originally came from me. All the logo, everything I did all by myself. I didn't build the website, but I built. I knew what I wanted it to look like, so I would build landing pages in Photoshop and then hand it off to a developer and be like, "Okay, make it look like this."
0: So essentially, the product design, framing, and things of those sorts. You Mm -hmm. took uh, took ownership of that. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yep. What would you say was, um, I guess, before I I, let me provide some context before asking this question. So just from doing some research and reading up on articles, uh, from an entrepreneurship perspective, interesting enough, in the pandemic, uh, you know, these past two years, there's been a 30% increase in black owned businesses, specifically because of women entrepreneurs. But uh, prior to the pandemic, Researchers in a specific article out of Fortune, which is interesting, said that uh, Black women received less than 1% of VC support in the U.S. Um, when, it came to, when it comes to like raising money or uh, maybe uh, enticing investors, uh, what are some of the obstacles that uh, you faced, I guess, uh, with the amount of time that you've had to, to grow the, the business to this point and with the goals that you have to, to expand even further?
2: Main obstacle is I was born with ovaries and I've the skin is the color that it is. My skin is the color that it is.
1: (laughs) That is such an epic response. I love it. I'm sorry, I just put my head down for a second. (laughs) I was like, oh my God. I love it.
2: It just it seriously it is what it is. And it took a it took me going to a cohort that was given by Cornell. Um, that was for women of, in entrepreneurship, for them to be like, yes, you're getting a no because you are a woman, It's not because, you know, you don't have the qualifications, not because you look fugly or anything. It's literally and you may look great on paper, but it's literally because 70 year old white men run the world in terms of, you know, when it comes to. Um, equity, finance, financing, all venture, all of that, or you've got um, uh, younger people that don't look like you that are totally think that tech is the only thing that deserves money having being thrown at it. So um, it, it was one of those. Okay, go in eyes wide open. No, you're not crazy. It is you. It's it is you and. If you're a black female, it's, it's even harder. So like, for instance, I, we had been in the black, we've been in business nine years now for the first seven of those years. I'll say for the first six of those years, we were always in the black and we were um, growing at a rate of like 75%. And we would go into a bank because at that time, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And Mm -hmm. You think, you know, you got a business, you're, you're making a profit, you're in the black, you've got a proven market, you should be able to present, you know, your uh, your business plan. And they should be like, you know, how much do you need? But that's not the case. The case was I'm talking to a, again, 70 year old white man trying to have him understand that my that my product actually makes him the minority there are more people that can use my product that are of curl you know that have curly hair and he's still trying to figure out i don't even understand the need for it. So it's like speaking a foreign language to somebody that they just can't get it but they are the gatekeepers so it would be that i would get that i would get the response is wow we haven't seen a business plan look this good in in years and all your numbers look great and everything Everything seems to line up, but don't you have like an uncle or somebody you can borrow a hundred thousand from? Or doesn't somebody own some collateral that you could, you know, put up? It's like, first of all, if that was the case, why would I be here? And let's let's take a lesson down, you know, critical race theory. There's a reason why black people don't (laughs) don't have collateral. Because you wouldn't let us own anything when you, or if we did own something that was of value, you took it or you re, you know, it's there is a reason why we've been kept out purposely. And then you want to say, okay, anybody can start a business, but you're basing everything on real estate or some type of physical property for collateral in order to borrow against. But if you locked out a whole race of people, from owning property, where does that leave us?
1: Yeah, and you know what's funny too. There's an article that was saying um, I didn't read the full article, but it talked about during this whole like housing buying frenzy, the Black minorities were the ones that weren't really getting access to those homes as much as they, the, the don't other. Say don't say
2: weren't. Don't say weren't really. Let's just, <laughs> let's just make it plain. Let's just you know, make it plain. It wasn't. Word, it wasn't like they were like, like maybe I said, I didn't, maybe not. I didn't, I didn't
1: read the article. I didn't read the article, so I'm just remembering what I saw, but I do so agree with you. from a historical
0: perspective, essentially the initiative was called redlining, yep. um, specifically here in the U.S., and uh, it's, it's exactly what it sounds like. A, a map was laid out, and um, unfortunately a group of men, you know, took green markers and red markers and marked red around uh, neighborhoods that uh, I guess you would consider to have become ghettos or not have the best infrastructure today. Um, and green line the other ones, and that all contributed to like be having access to buy homes, uh, you know.
2: It's uh, it, equity. It's so it, deep. It, it's so it, deep. It, it's like the
0: underlying foundation to the wealth gap in the United States.
2: Let me this yeah. book. Let me pull up this book that, um, and I don't want to I don't want to miss uh, say the title because it was such an eye opener. And the thing is. I've read this. Being on this journey has made me dive more into our history just to find out the reasons why. Because, of course, none of us are taught. The real story, mm-hmm. like I would. <laughs> I tell people that I remember in grade school, I thought Frederick Douglass, Frederick Douglass was a bad guy. All the I, think I, bad think- I think I know which book you're thinking of. I think I know which
1: book you're thinking of. What's the what's book that um, Grace recently read? the, the, the life mice well as my teacher told me
2: no not that's that great. book but that sounds like it needs to be added to my yeah um, that's a
1: really that's a really good book you should check that one out
2: oh my gosh it is i want to say it's not the history of the black dollar it's another one hold on it's on my audible because i have dyslexia so i don't read i listen um A white fragility was one of them. Oh, my goodness. Mm. White fragility was so good. And uh, oh, gosh, I'm going to remember it before it's over. But it basically tells you what. Even if there were even if there were happened to be black people that owned property that was later deemed of value, mm-hmm. yeah. how that they would. OK, we're going to decide to just put a highway through that neighborhood, <laughs> you know, in order yep. to cut yep. them off from any, you know, any um, other resources that would be able to make them, you know, be able Isn't to make them what happened in more valuable. Oh, it, it is happening. Like in Chicago, so right? many cities. It's happened. It happened a lot of yes. yeah The it's color like a... of law. That's what it is. The yeah. color, of, color law. of law, the it's color of cool. law, and it's so interesting because it talks about the city of Ferguson. And city of Ferguson was one of the first black communities that they allowed black people to come and buy housing in. And actually, it was where my parents bought their first house. was in Ferguson. Oh, wow. And the same time, where did Michael Brown get killed? Or Michael Green? In the city of Ferguson. Yeah. It's like, you know what? <laughs> this is a, this is not happenstance. This was, this was put in motion years and years and years ago. So it's like, okay, and if we were not the people, if we were not the people that were in control, if that's a homogeneous, you know, group of people that don't look like you, then how can it be that it's it's happenstance all this was on purpose so Mm -hmm. i really believe when you say with the pandemic and all of that i'll speed it up to say i didn't get any money until all those black people were killed on camera last year and the year before that's what and the pandemic don't get it twisted there is so much more opportunity because people there there's so many people that are, can record what's been happening that's and put it in front of everyone's face across the yeah. globe and how can you not how can you not sit back and say you know what i think we caused this issue we need to widen rectify the it. you know we need, right we need to rectify it we need to close the gap we have and let's sit back and look at the numbers the numbers don't lie numbers don't lie period so if you've got a if you've got all these people that fit this certain criteria, if it's black women, why would you not? all the, Why would you not offer them opportunities that have never been there before? But. Excuse me, it's black people as a whole, but black women are the flavor of of the pandemic, basically. And I ain't gonna lie, I'm gonna take advantage of it because yeah, you never me any money before, you never would. Like we didn't get it yeah. until Uncle Joe and Aunt Cam was like, you know what? We see the value of what you do. You're keeping people employed. So let's help you through this pandemic. Other than that, and plus we were able to get some, some um uh, not venture capital money, but we've been able to get loans from, Venture funds that were created specifically to lend to black and brown, black, brown, and female, you know, entrepreneurs. So mm-hmm. yeah, a lot has come from that. Those doors were not. I have available. some.
0: Con- I have some concerns about those. Tell me. So, so uh, I, something about the, I guess, the lending system feels predatory to me. It is. Um, but like, uh, so. I I was doing tons of research, you know, after, you know, the, I'm a big on history, but after, you know, the George Floyd situation and things of those sorts, like being in big tech, I got, you know, exposed to a lot more uh, ways to source through data and identify and analyze data, just gaining that experience. And I found uh, some studies that show that uh, in 2020, right, uh, African-Americans or I guess black folks in the U.S., their spending power rose to $1.6 trillion. Mm-hmm. That's that's 9% of the nation's total buying power. We got $1.6 trillion.
2: The thing is, we spend more than we make.
0: Imagine if a small percentage of that. Decided
2: is- to. Decide. I know where you're going. I know where you're going. I know where you're going. But the thing is, the thing is, That we don't have, it takes effort. Like last, right after, um, I believe it was George Floyd. I can't remember exactly, but I gave the chat. No, it was before that. It was prior to that. I had given the challenge just to my followers to say, I want you to take $100 for one day. You have to spend that $100 in that day. But see if you can spend that hundred, every single cent of that hundred dollars with a black business. And you have to do it, you cannot do it all with one black business. You have to go about your normal, you know, your normal um habits and see if you can spend that hundred dollars at only black businesses.
1: You no, know, it's funny. Killer Mike did that on a Netflix show, I right, think.
2: Right. He did it too. And he got the idea he, from me.
1: Yeah, but then he had to walk. <laughs> he had to walk like miles because he couldn't take a bus. It is. I was like, it damn, bro, that's hard. It's hard.
2: It's hard. It is so hard. You have, And that's the thing. If we purposefully did it, we can do it in some aspects of our lives and some of our natural habits and stuff. But you cannot do it in every single act. I cannot go to a gas station and fill up my car, which is probably going to cost about $100 now for one fill up. <laughs> At a black gas station unless I go all the way across, you know, and find one in Atlanta. And that's that's the thing. It's like the Internet has opened us up to be able to do that. Like I'm planning my birthday party. I'm I'm, I'm turning 50 and this is my 50, my year to turn 50. So you look I great. am. Oh, thank it you very you much. Great. Thank you.
0: Completely surprised me. <laughs> I was like, "What?" But
1: well, you look great. Go <laughs> Thank
2: on. you very much. It's, it's in the you know, black don't crack. It's in the water. But anyway, um, I'm purposely using my birthday party as an example. So I have a black DJ. I have a black caterer. Ooh. I have a black no. I have a let a, a, um, a Latino photographer and videographer. Um, what else? I have a black comedian. Um, my uh my guys are being outfitted from Africa from Gambia. So it's like things like this. Of course, I'll have a black makeup artist, my girl. It's <laughs> 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 so funny. This is
1: the first time we use that. That's hilarious. <laughs> but but you know what? That's a new challenge. I'm going to do that for my birthday. Everything that okay. I consume and do will be black for my birthday.
2: It'll be black. All right. But I uh, you know, yeah, my I clothes, everything. Everything. And that I wanted to wear cuz I know the uh, the twins that make the hats with the with the red rim with the uh, what mm-hmm. is it? St. James or whatever. I, we I personally know them. They're in the same uh, uh incubator whatever that I'm in. And I was going to wear their hats, but they they have a supply chain issue, so they don't have the color I want right now. But anyway, but if you purposefully do that, then other people see it's real. You can do it. If I can do it, yeah. you can do it. Even if it's down to, you know, that's um, just that conscious. Right. Choice. It's just that conscious choice. But because we don't own businesses, you know, like other races, that it's just, you know, I can go walk down the street and find it find it but if you try we are out there and the Mm. more you build your network the more you will find those people like I literally the first place that I went to that I the first venue I told them and I don't think we're I think a lot of us are like still asking permission to do stuff and it's like no I'm spending my money so I'm only going to use your venue. If you got a black caterer, I want a black baker. I want a black, you know, and if you don't have it, shame on you. Guess you get one next time, but be, be bold mm-hmm. and purposeful in, in how you spend your money. It's your money.
1: So I, I like that. I conscious of that
0: businesses pay attention.
2: Mm-hmm. And, uh,
0: you know, the, the tokenism sometimes is very obvious, but I mean, oh there, yeah there's a lot of power in the in the black dollar um are, are you familiar by any chance with uh dr claude anderson
2: i don't know names but i know faces let me let me ask the google right click but go ahead
0: so uh so uh i read an interesting book from claude anderson uh he uh it's, it's called Poweronomics. okay and uh one thing uh and it's essentially like group economics specifically tailored to like the black community and one thing uh thought was really interesting a point that he makes is that uh one of the cons to uh i guess post-segregation was that um
2: we lost the our emphasis neighborhood on ownership yeah mm-hmm. like
0: uh, we we had to to have our own
2: doctors our house. own grocery stores you know, our, our own yes yeah, yes yeah, mm-hmm.
0: and we lost that a bit um i think um because it's you have to make that conscious choice of you know All right, I'm only going to spend my money here. Uh, I think um, if more folks were just educated like on the number, like if more folks knew that our community spent 1.6 trillion dollars last year, just a little bit more emphasis on supporting a fellow person in the community uh, would go a long way. Uh, I think it's the education piece uh, that's hurting us
2: there. Okay. It's it's the education piece and it's location. Like to say because I came from we came from. The North. We came from right outside of Chicago. When we moved to Atlanta, I thought I had died and gone to heaven. Now you know, people talk about it being Black Mecca. It it is Black Mecca. I didn't know. Like my my son at that time needed to go see a physical therapist because he had um called Osgood Schlagers or whatever. It's when your kneecap grows, you're just growing too fast, and your your bones aren't keeping up. Anyway, had to go find a, uh, a um. Uh, What do you call it? Orthopedist.
1: Physical
2: therapist. Physical therapist, right, with the orthopedist. So we went, I found somebody and went to the office. I knew the, the, the doctor was a white female, but I had no idea about the staff. So when we went to the doctor's office, there literally was three black nurses, three black male nurses in the office. I never experienced that in my life. And I sat back, (laughs) I sat back and I was staring at him and I know I got to the point where I, I was making him uncomfortable, but I had to tell him, I was like, look, I'm a grown woman, but I have never seen three black male nurses, nobody's an orderly, nobody's grabbing the food. Nobody's the transportation person. You all, it's like, I've never experienced this in my life. And this is amazing. Like now I can say that my kid's principal is black. I can say that my chiropractor, my chiropractor is black. My, um, let's see, who else? All of my lawyers are black. And it's just like, wow.
1: That's amazing.
2: And it feels so good. Not that I'm taking anything away from, the other individuals of other ethnicities that are in those same professions, but you just don't have that opportunity, especially coming from the North. It just, it's like non-existent. And when you come down here, it's like, it's real. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> wow.
1: That's awesome. man. I, I, I do, I do understand exactly what you're talking about. Like, I know in New York, there's, there's a push to get more black male teachers because there aren't a lot of them. Uh, and getting that representation is so important for kids as they develop and they dream big. So I completely understand how that hit home for you, but just bringing it back quickly to, you know, PuffCuff, when you were trying to get that loan and the, 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 loan person mentioned that, um, is there really a need for this? How did you know that there was a need? Because you've proven that there's a need because you're so successful. Um, and I guess. The other thing, and I, and I can repeat this question later on because I am i asking like two different questions, but the other thing is that you mentioned that they said that they've never seen such a great business plan before. And I feel that when it comes to Black folks, when we present anything, we need to have our T's. We need to be super qualified to the nines. So my thought process is like, what the hell are you guys seeing then if it's not of this caliber?
2: And my thing is, if it's not of this caliber, how are they getting money? Yeah. But again, we can't get it twisted. (laughs) It is what it is. You know, Um, I didn't get my first um, significant, let's say, uh, loan until I had my husband step in and be the front man. 2017. Yes. So then it was like and even then it was only 50 grand. And I said, you know, I shouldn't say only. but. At that time, I thought it was big money. Now, what I know, since I've been through so many classes and cohorts and incubators and accelerators and blah, 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 now I know what it's going to take for me to get to, what amount of money is going to take for me to get to that evaluation, because it takes Mm. money to make money. All of these, a lot of these big beauty brands that are, are really like clocking dollars, They got some serious venture capital money. Mm. But the person who really opened the door for all that was Richelieu Dennis with Shea Moisture and being sold to Unilever. And what don't know what how much he got, but he was purposely like, okay, I'm gonna sell the company, but I'm putting this money back into the community purposefully. And I'm going to have I'm gonna be in those rooms where my people, um, I'm going to be the voice for them in those rooms that they cannot be in and get them, even if it's my money that can't help them, I know, I know somebody who is willing to, on my word, help them. So it's going to take more of that. It's going to take more of that. And that's, that's truly my goal is to be one of those people that can be the conduit or the connector between people who have done it. Cause we're, we're doing this on our credit, on our 401ks, you know, all that yeah. you can, the, you know, your God forbid, you know, mortgaging your house, which for us, most of us were probably the first ones to own a house. So that's the first, that's not the thing you're going to be putting up to get collateral off of, but, people of other ethnicities do it all the time and keep on doing it, you know? So it's one of those things. It's just, it's, it, it is learning, learning the culture of bigger business, not big business, but bigger business, if that makes sense.
1: But it's so must be so like powerful and gratifying to know that you own a hundred percent of your company from this article I read last year, unless things have changed.
2: No, I still own a hundred percent. It's interesting. I even that was a little. What do you call it? I felt some kind of way before because no venture capitalists were coming to me to offer me money and and uh take and a get a piece, a piece of pie. Take a piece piece of the pie. And a I piece was of like, pie?
1: <laughs> I can invest, let me know. I'll take I'll take a point zero one percent." Uh, 0.001% let me get a piece I'm ready
2: and see, that was the thing I was like what is it that we're not doing but then it's I had to figure it out that it wasn't anything it wasn't anything that I was doing but at least the. I had to lean on okay the Lord will do it in his time it will happen in the right time if I had done it back then then I would have probably it would have been easier to keep on giving away portions of my mm. of my business mm-hmm. in order to you know, think to get to the next, to get to the next stage. I know a couple of people who they, they, they own less than 20% of their business. And I, it's like, damn. I damn, would really be, damn. I would be scared. I mean, not own less than they, they own like 80% of their business.
0: Oh, so, oh,
2: but even then it's like, okay, owning 80 versus owning 90, that's a significant difference. If you're having mm-hmm. eventual, or if you have somebody that you're trying to sell the business to, like, I don't know with Richelieu, if he had, and you know who I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't know. I don't know how much of the business he owned before he sold, but
1: you're talking about the shape, but, um,
2: same moisture, right? Yeah. Yeah. Same moisture. Um, who now owns essence, who is just, I mean, they, who now owns, what is it? Um, Madam CJ Walker's mansion. I mean, he went and just he was like, I'm about to scrape up everything, (laughs) all the stuff that 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 was stolen or taken. I'm about to take it back. (laughs) So Mm. um, um, owning 100 percent of your business now, I feel like. I'm in an even better spot now, if I were to give up a percentage. But then I have my intellectual property and I have my trademarks. Yeah. I have I have all of that to make it a package. But it took somebody to teach me that that adds to your valuation. Don't take that stuff for granted. Not everybody has a patent to sell. You know, I mean, not to sell. But three patents. Yeah.
1: Don't, don't doubt. Three, putting, three no,
2: with any, a fourth three pending.
1: But <laughs> a fourth pending. Can you talk yes. about, mm-hmm. uh, before we talk about the patents, um, can you talk about, why you thought there was a need for the product when it first came out and I needed pi- it. that's that's good enough <laughs> easy <laughs> <One> easy <point. laughs> and, and what was the thought process behind getting the patents was it to protect your your, your idea like can you talk with us about the patent because i don't feel a lot of people do that route
2: okay so this is the this is the puff cuff um It's basically a hair clamp. Can you see it? Or maybe it's been better if I do it like that. Yeah, see it, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So this Mm -hmm. is we have five different sizes. This is like right in the middle. So the way it works differently is it holds the gathered hair rather than cinching the gathered hair. So that's why it's it it replaces rubber bands because rubber bands, in essence, were invented for to give thin strands bulk, like fiber optics. You got the, you know, you have the, the rubber casing that holds all of these thin strands together to give them bulk. Well, people with curl and texture, we already have bulk. So we don't need anything cinching it down. We just need something to hold it in place. So that's where, that's the difference. So when I first came up with the idea, like I said, I was working at the, um, the community college And I had access to different engineers and people in the marketing department that I worked with. They were like, well, you know, I know this engineer. I know that. Let's go talk to him and see what he thinks or whatever. And I would have these white guys, you know, in their mid 40s say, that's genius. You need to protect yourself. Mm. That's that you got something there. You need to protect yourself. I never, I truly thought that this was just going to be my side hustle on the weekends. I was just going to you know, throw up a table at different, you know, hair shows or whatever and sell it and just have extra money in my pocket. I never thought it was going to be the business that it is. So it literally was being around the right people and having my ears open mm-hmm. to receive. And I'm a big, you tell me something to do, I'm going to do it. You know, if you, if you, especially if I, if I. Have in my gut that this person is coming from a pa- a place of good, then I'm gonna follow yeah. the advice. So and that's what I did. And again, it was within my network that I was connected to a, a fabulous patent attorney who's still my patent attorney to this day, that wasn't interested in emptying out my pockets. He was. I was just gonna like, ask, what about the cost? Yeah. Is it
1: super expensive?
2: Traditionally, it is for those that you don't know that it is for those if you don't know the right patent attorney but Um, my patents cost next to nothing compared to how much i had to spend to defend to protect my patent so the patents itself for me but this has been a while ago but i would say on average between five and six thousand so and that might
1: be difficult for someone that is trying to launch a business to like just i'm going to protect an idea that i don't know if it's going to work so I guess that might've been a, a potential risk. Did you think it was a risk or you knew th- that this was gonna be success?
2: No, I didn't think it was. I didn't, and when you, let me make sure I understand the question. Was it a risk to get it patented or to not get it patented? Where were, what Do
1: did you, you feel that when you were like thinking, I think five to $6,000 is pretty expensive when you're trying to launch a business. I don't know what stage you got your patents, but as you were thinking of getting the patent to protect your idea, did you think it was a risk because you weren't sure I, if it was going to be successful or you had a feeling that this was going to work?
2: I had a feeling it was going to work, but I didn't get my I didn't launch the business until I got my first patent. I got the mm. patent then I launched. I applied for the patent. So I was already patent pending mm-hmm. and it, I did not that provisional patent is a bunch of crap. All the people see people say, oh, I've got a provisional patent and oh, you got a piece of paper. You might as well just go, you know, you can burn it. And it, it a provisional patent is nothing. Um, so I got, I launched, I was in the state where I I was in the, 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 uh, space where I was first to, I call, I forget what the stage is called, but it was like, I was the first one to attempt to get the patent. So nobody could come behind me and say, oh, I tried to patent that first. So because I was first to do that, I was in a different, I was in a better position. So then I got my design patent. Um, I was already in the process with the patent and trademark office when I launched the business. So I launched in 2014. I actually got my patent in 2017. OK, it was actually and how, published.
1: How long is your patent for? Because I know certain industries patents only last for X amount of time. So how long are your, is your idea somewhat protected for
2: so I have a design patent and a utility patent and my design patent actually expires in a, um, I believe in seven, I have seven more years. That's why my goal is to sell within six. The pandemic kind of changed all of that, you know, my timing, but within the next five to six years is when I want to sell. Um, but my thing, my, Having a patent doesn't, it doesn't really protect you from, it protects you, uh, what it protects you from is anybody outside the United States trying to import your idea and sell it to anyone in the United States. It does Mm. not protect you the other way around. Got it. Okay. So in order to protect yourself the other way around, you have to get foreign patents and you have to get patents in every single country. In order for it to, um, you know, really be protected that I could not afford. But I could afford and you only have a certain window of time that you can do this. So once your patent is granted granted, you only have like a year or two years that you can apply for foreign protection. And even then you have to apply for it in every single country that you plan to sell in. Well, mm. the West is. um you know the what everyone wants to get their products here, than the other way around. So I'm protected from that in a sense, but I still like we've been knocked off and fighting that. It was coming in from um, China through a Korean distributor. And it was I, I. can tell you, I spent. We spent hundred thousand dollars trying to protect the patent, and for a, and we got a thirteen thousand dollars settlement. And wow. you cannot, you cannot. And for patent protection, you cannot have them. It they will not cover your attorney fees, like in regular wow. civil cases. So wow. it got to the point where we had to stop, and that this distributor. There's only two major distributors um, of hair care products within the United States. And they're both Korean owned and, you know, they got money for days. So they just turn the claim over to their insurance and their insurance um, has a team of lawyers that just, you know, steadily just hit you with bullshit appeals and bullshit this, that and the other. And it's just racking up the money because they knew we couldn't afford to keep going. So you have to build the brand. You have to build the face and you have to build the brand. So your customers will be loyal to you and your brand. Mm. It's just like what Nike has done. You know, Nike gets knocked off all over the place. But before they were who they were, it was all about the brand loyalty. So that's what we're trying to build. Got it. I've even found puff cuffs in, in the Philippines that's actually named, labeled puff cuff dupe in the same exact packaging and everything. and they're selling it in Brazil.
1: Wow.
0: So uh, what, what, what would you say? Uh, I guess for 2022 is, uh, to hit your, I guess, long-term business goals this year, what's imperative like a must for you guys.
2: A must is new. We have to build back our new customer acquisition The um, Apple iOS update shot all digital marketing to crap. That whole privacy um, uh, update that came out, what it did is it made it so you cannot really um, effectively advertise on Facebook and Instagram anymore. And we were making big bank and a lot of small businesses were were making really good, really, uh, really good revenue off of those ads. because. We could reach so many people that um, we were paying for it, but the reach was so great. So we were getting, you know, 3X returns on a $100,000 spend. Like, that was easy. But when the privacy updates came, they made it so you can't track anybody. And then everybody's opting out of, you know, if you're on an Apple phone, you get that little notice now, do you want to allow this, you know, do you want to allow this website to track you. Uh, First of all, right, right. Who's going to allow anybody to track (laughs) you? So everybody's opting out. Everybody's saying no. Well, what happens is that means that we don't know uh, small businesses can't track your habits. So we can't figure out, we now can't feed those people the ads based on, you know, uh, similar lifestyles or similar, likes, similar habits or whatever. So that's, that's been very, very bad for small business. It has, it's hurt big business the same way, but they already have the brand recognition. Everybody knows about them. Like I was on a, I was on a call, um, a women in retail leadership call a couple weeks ago and the CMO of Savage and Fenty was on the call. And she's like, you know what, we're about to kick Facebook and Instagram to the curb. Well, yeah, you can. Cause everybody knows we're not Rihanna. But everybody don't know Sita and Puff Cuff. So it's 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 a different situation. So it's opportunities like this to get in front of other audiences that have probably never heard of the Puff Cuff and then they see it and they realize I need a Puff Cuff. So it's, it's that it's finding those other avenues that um, that will allow us to reach those people who don't know about us.
0: It's interesting. I, I never thought of, um, with what's going on. I, I like, I call it the data wars <laughs> between uh, big tech. I, I never thought to think about what the implications of, I guess, privacy, um, you know, on one hand, uh, Apple and the app store and then apps that are on there like Facebook and how that might Im- impact, uh, small businesses versus the individual. I never thought of it
2: that way. Yeah. Cause Facebook was picking piggybacking on all of Apple's, um, all of Apple's technology on how to track and now the pixels and all of that stuff. So now Apple, I believe it all came from um, them wanting to separate themselves for the, from the foolishness of the last election. And it's like Facebook really stepped on some big toes, I think. And Apple was like, you know what, we're going to take our ball and go home. And you see how you 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 fin from there, but with that, uh, it's really hurt business because we don't have the we don't have the advertising reach like we used to.
1: So I know you mentioned that you guys are potentially coming out with some men potential products or line. Mm-hmm. Um, Could you talk a little bit about what that may potentially look like for someone like us, um, if you can?
2: Well, actually, it's already out. Um, it's called the puff cuff mail, the PC mail. Um, the website is the puff, the PC And basically what we we realized, um, we realized this early going early in the business that this is not puff cuff is a unisex tool. It's not specifically for women. And when I created it, it was because I had the problem of not being able to find something that could hold my hair in place and not give me a blazing headache if my hair wasn't straight. And I stopped straightening my hair mainly because, um, I went longer between relaxers and all of my skin problems that I had been suffering from since, uh, since, uh, excuse me, from since an adolescent literally disappeared overnight. So it was like, I'm not going back to putting those chemicals on my, on my skin anymore. The relief is too great, but I got to figure out what I'm going to do with this stuff growing out of my scalp that I have not seen since the age of 10. <laughs> so <clears throat> with that, we also realized that guys are growing out their hair too. And, yep. it, and usually guys' hair is way better than females because you haven't destroyed it with all the chemicals and coloring and straightening and heat and all of that. So um, we had guys that were like, I want the puff cuff, but it's it's for girls. And it's like, no. (laughs) So we can brand this in a way that you identify with and use it, too. So we we have the puff cuff male and it is geared towards same thing, locks, braids, twists, naturally curly hair and then facial hair.
0: So I, I was just looking at the beer products,
1: website.
2: Like, website <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
1: Thank you. Yeah I'm, yeah. I'm about to grow my hair back out. So um, I'm very, very, <laughs> very, very excited.
2: I, I designed that website. So you little, oh, little you saw- help from Shopify. But yeah. And all of those are uh, everybody you see is either. Uh, I think the guy that's on the homepage, is it a, a white guy with blonde hair on the homepage right now?
1: Yes, yeah, so a white guy, but then there's some black guy, black men.
2: Um, yeah, in it all well, of yeah. those are people that we. None of those are professional models. Like that's a kid that I found at my chiropractor, and I was like, "Your hair is gorgeous. You have to model for us."
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like it. 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 Um, love the brand ambassadors too. I know nice. that you mentioned um, self love, self acceptance. Um, I remember when I was at Facebook, um, our chief diversity officer was talking about, you know, um, having natural hair and that, you know, in the, in the more traditional sense, um, as you go into corporate America, like if you had natural hair that, you know, it wasn't looked upon as being professional or lax, like you had to get your hair straight or press and stuff like that. So, um, what are your thoughts about that whole narrative completely changing now that we're natural here is being more accepted and and curly locks and all that stuff? Like, what are your thoughts about that whole movement?
2: I love it. I, first of all, it keeps my family fed, so because <laughs> <laughs> my husband is my is my co CEO. So yes, so I love it. I just my thing is <clears throat> I still think we have a long way to go mm-hmm. because we still are the largest consumers of product, personal care product and fake hair. We are the, we, we, if we stopped buying hair, India and China would go, (laughs) would disappear.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Oh, man. And my
2: thing is, because I mean, even that, and I found this out, and you guys are probably, this is another drop the mic moment. I found out, like, from doing research because of this business, that there was a bill that was passed years and years and years and years, and years ago that uh, outlawed human hair being harvested in the United States. It could only be harvested from the East, and it's still that way. So let me give you another little little drop of knowledge. So when it comes from the east, where are all the beauty supply stores? In whose neighborhood?
0: In ours. Wow.
2: Wow. But where can you come and buy a whole bunch of real estate for probably less than a dollar something a square foot? In whose neighborhoods? So you buy, they can come. They can come and I'm not, you know, I'm not faulting them by any means, but you have to think this is part of the whole financial ecosystem. This is purposeful. This is not by accident. Yeah. So if you you say that human hair cannot be harvested in the United States, but well, what class of people have you convinced that their hair is not good enough?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So
2: then you they can buy the real estate for next to nothing back in the 70s and 80s when you did have black people having their own um uh product hair product companies they bought all of those they bought all of those companies not only did they buy the companies they brought all of their ip they took all of that production moved it off to the east packaged it the same but you don't know what the hell's in that bottle. Then they buy the distributorships. So they've got the real estate, they've got the distributorships, they've got the product, and they've got the hair. And they're feeding oh, one it one all second. back to people it's, that look like us because society has so convinced so. us that our hair is not good enough.
0: Okay. It's a piece wow. of a system. Oh, man. When you put it like that, it's like, ah. Uh,
2: but see, that's the crazy. thing. It's like right there in front of us, but we don't think about it that way.
0: No. and In in the neighborhood I grew up in, the aside from the barbershops, some of the salons, the beauty supply stores, uh, they weren't owned by people in our community, in our neighborhoods. Nope. There's like on main main avenues there's probably a beauty supply every block.
2: Every block. And who owns it? And who's working there? <laughs> right. And
0: it,
2: yeah, yeah it's, and, and then most beauty supplies that do, if you, the next segment, seriously, you should talk to some black beauty supply owners and see all the hell that they've gone through just to be able to get product into their stores because the Asians and Koreans own the distributorships. So they're only going to sell to people that are like them, mm. and they'll tell you front face, we don't, we we're not going to sell it to you, and it'll be some of the most popular brands, the most popular brands that brown people are seeking. They're owned by Koreans, or, or that mostly it's Koreans, um, be, uh, and they will not, they just will not sell it to people of color because they don't have to.
1: That's crazy, but. Now I'm in your website, and like I mentioned, the website looks amazing for PCM. Can you tell us a little bit about the products and like what's in it? Why is it, why should we buy this versus something else? Like just give us a quick education of the products quickly.
2: So the, the PCM products, are you talking about the consumables? And when I say um, like the, the pomades, the... the uh, Yeah, I that, see the
1: pomades, I see the sprays, I see like a beard moisturizer, like right. yeah, those stuff.
2: Because Okay, so I, I I am in the tool business, okay, the, mm-hmm. the, the, okay? But I knew I needed to find... I kept on having people and consultants that I was working with saying, you really need to have a consumable line. You really need to do shampoos and lotions, I mean, and moisturizers. And I really fought it for a long, long time. But they were like, basically, you've made the puff cuff... The puff cuff is not a throwaway item. So people... Have people mm. who have a tendency not to come back to buy more puff cups
1: forever? Yes, they keep right, it forever, right. so you need right. to get that. Re-
2: right, Let's get it. Okay, we need to get sense. the average order value up in this and get customer lifetime value up. And I was like, well, I refute. I made the puff cup because I uh, durable and to last long. Because I got tired myself of buying stuff that was like one use, and I had to throw it away or I had to keep on replenishing it. So mm-hmm. the consumables came from that. I am not a. I'm you no. Know, no, we going to pretend that I'm a chemist but I knew there were black girl chemists out there. (laughs) So (laughs) I went and found a black girl chemist that formulated her, has her own line of products that she formulates for, you know, whoever. But I was like, I need a black girl that understands that I want natural products, organic products, and that the kind of skin, our skin is not like everybody else's skin. You know, we need different, our skin and our hair has different needs. And I wanted somebody that understood that, so I went to her, and that's we. Uh, that's how we get our consumable line. So everything that's is created by a black girl chemist.
1: That's amazing. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome.
2: So the uh, the yeah. consumables on the men's side and the female side um, are all created by her.
0: That's amazing. So, you know when and i I guess this this can apply to to you and your team as well but um when you're you know focused on the goal at hand uh how do you you know block out the noise how do you uh, you know shuffle out negativity when you're dealing with uh scrutiny like over, trying to overcome adversity how do, how do you uh like stay focused and and uh kind of stay on track
2: I put people in between me and them I have to there are people who Okay, I know I'm not i um, I'm not a lot. I'm not a person that has. I have a short fuse. Not that I get angry like crazy angry, but I'm a Taurus. I know Taurus too. Right, April twenty second. Hey, April. I, I mean it. May seventeenth. So you know, it. there's only so much you can take, and I'm like, okay, my mouth will get me in trouble. And if you, if I've built this thus far, this is like one of my kids. This is this is very intimate to me. And if you come after me with some foolishness, I'm really like, you know, right, boo. Let's come on, you <laughs> say that to me in a parking lot, you know, <laughs> like, hold on. Come, right. right. come get this exactly, smoke. Come get this smoke. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that doesn't work well. <laughs> <laughs> in, in especially in the world that we live in, or you can be recorded. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I had to learn that I'm, that's not my ministry. Customer service is not my ministry. I take it too personal. So, but that's my lifeblood is nurturing and dealing with my customers and my fans. So I had to put people in between me and my customers that that would be their ministry. That's their sweet spot. That's what they want to do is, make sure that everyone is happy. So they keep me, they keep my fans happy, which in turn, you know, makes, makes puff cuff what it is, because I realize that black women are the most fragile and can be the most mean people in the world. And when there is something that goes wrong, negative is what negativity is what people gravitate to. So it's almost like, If something negative is is said, it can snowball and and mushroom like so quickly. And for me, I I wasn't, my personality wasn't to play nice and, you know, try to damper it. Mine would be like, okay, let's roll. But I can't do that with running a business. So Mm -hmm. it was like, okay, I know that this is not my sweet spot. So let me put people in between that can do this way better than I can. And that's what I my philosophy is with my whole team is I know there's certain I know what my I know what my ministry is. I know what my lane is. And that's what keeps me focused is my lane. And I'm here for everybody, but I hire people to do what they do best. And I support them in what they do best. Whatever you need, I will support you in it. And I don't want to micromanage, but that's the thing is the team and the squad and then once you get those few people that believe and have pat are passionate about your passion then it's golden you know it's, it's all she wrote from there
1: wow I, I like that process and um how can people you know learn about you know the business what you guys are doing um stay, stay updated like how can they follow your story like you know what's the best way to get access to you
2: any of our social media. But um, I think from a from a product standpoint, it's social media from a business standpoint. It's probably it's LinkedIn. It's LinkedIn because tech, well, we own three businesses. There's three businesses under this umbrella of Puff Cuff. Um, the second business is and uh, Smalls, which is Negro from Minding Small Businesses. So we have our own uh, fulfillment company and what we did, we realized, you know, we went through the ranks of going from the dining room table to a storage facility to, you know, a a small office, blah, 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 blah. blah. But we realized that fulfillment isn't mine, isn't um, rocket science, but there's so many small businesses that are too big for their dining room table, but do not want to go into that 3PL. So we are that uh, sweet spot of we will handle fulfillment. We call ourselves a boutique fulfillment firm. Um, so we only take so many clients so we can make sure that we can pay close attention to everything because you need somebody that's that you're not just a number. You're not just a small fish in a big pond. So a big fish. So we do that also. And then we have another business in house, too. So <laughs> we're trying to make it kind of like our own ecosystem where we're self-sufficient, but also a resource for other small businesses and people that look like us.
1: It sounds like you're doing like that Amazon approach because Amazon is so good with fulfillment. So they offer that as a service. Um, They have their technology, which you want to process millions and millions of orders. So I like that approach. If you have the, the secret sauce, why not like have people pay for it?
2: Exactly. My thing is, and, and we're really here. We don't necessarily, we don't want to become a giant 3PL. That's not, that's not our mission. It literally is just that springboard that people need, that niche between, okay, the HOA is about to report me because I got 10,000 boxes in my garage. <laughs> and um, I don't want to go to the, you know, the huge 3PL that can lose a palette of my products and be like, well, we're sorry, we, you Got know, it. so we're we're there to to fill that niche until you till those businesses get so big that they outgrow us. We don't, we will, we will get you to that spot, but the goal is for you to outgrow us.
1: Awesome, awesome. All right, I mean, thank you for such a great chat. Um, I thought it was amazing. Um, thank you for the opportunity, and wish you all the success. I hope you get that twenty five million dollar valuation next year. To be honest. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, so wish you all the best with your endeavors.
2: I am just yeah. so honored to be here. I just, I'm glad you found me. Glad we could have the conversation and hopefully, you know, this will continue in one form or another, but you guys, what you're doing is awesome. I, I, I really appreciate it.
1: Don't forget our business idea. The three of us, we, we can do some, we can do some good things. When are you ready? Let's let us know. We can do some good things together.
2: Hey, it ain't nothing but a plane trip. <laughs> now that outside is open,
1: that's true.
0: You know, um, th- there was something you mentioned, um, and before before we hop off, I wanted to make sure I, um, I guess I uh, pointed out a little bit. You mentioned that uh, uh, sometimes black women could be uh, some of them or come across some of those, like the meanest people in the world. Uh, I feel that uh, black women might have had to be. The most tolerant and resilient.
2: For oh a long yes. Time. yes, yes, yeah And I
0: think uh, the world uh, will uh, change for the better when they no longer
2: have to be. And I and I don't want that to sound negative, but it is my thing. Is I'm going in eyes wide open. We can be the loudest, and I'm me speaking. One of them as one of them, we can be the loudest. But once you have us in your pocket, in your corner, we are yeah. ride or die. So Mm -hmm. that's the thing. It's like, okay, I understand. And I I understand where you're coming from. And I understand why. So let me nurture that for good.
1: Mm. I like that. I like that. Awesome. I mean, that's the great way to end that. I like that. That's a great way to end the show. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. you. Pleasure to be here.